holy habits that can change your life. Um, that's quite a statement. And this Lenten season, what we want to do each worship service on these weekends is to look at one of the habits, one of the holy habits um, that we are called as followers of Christ to, to put into our life and ask him to empower us to live it. Um, today we want to look at the holy habit of forgiveness. There's a verse in Ephesians 4.32. Look at the words with me. Ten simple words. Forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Do you read those words with me? Forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. You know, Paul wrote those words inspired by God <clears throat> back maybe 30 years after Jesus lived to the church at Ephesus. Um, and then what happened for Chris and I on our wedding day back in 1970, uh, her sister gave us a decoupaged plaque. Remember, we used to put varnish on it, real pretty, had ribbon around the outside, to hang on our bedroom wall. And that was in our bedroom wall for many, many decades of our life. And, you know, it's kind of interesting how you can see words like that. And some days they, they really impact you. They encourage you. They challenge you. And um, other days you don't want to see them. Um, at least I didn't. I can't speak for Chris. You know, but um, they're powerful words. They're actually very simple words. Forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Um, when I look at that, I really think about, you talk about the fundamental of Christianity, the foundation of Christianity. And when I think of fundamentals in the month of March, I can't help but think about basketball, NCAA tournament coming up. Um, back in my high school, college years, there was a coach at UCLA. I didn't get to play for him. But many of you, if you were back in that area, you know his name, John Wooden. Um, he set records that nobody's ever even come close to. Coached at UCLA for 37 years. He won eight out of every 10 games he ever coached there. Um, he, uh, over 12 seasons, won 10 NCAA championships. During that time, seven championships in a row. Uh, during that time, he had 88 straight NCAA victories. And in the tournament itself, he had 38 consecutive victories. John Wooden. Now you picture you're a high school athlete and you've been recruited by him. It's your freshman year at UCLA. And you get to sit in the locker room of John Wooden. Um, wouldn't you love to hear what he's going to tell you? All ears are listening. What did he talk to them about? He spent the whole first session. He gave them each a pair of socks. Said, let's put them on. Take off your shoes. I'm going to show you how to put socks on. Now, I think if I would be a freshman in a locker room, I'd be looking at this guy, wondering about him. But you know what his belief was? If you got blisters, you weren't any good to him. If you got blisters. And when I think of blisters, I think what unforgiveness can do in our hearts, the blisters that can turn into calluses and have dead areas in our life. And so we want to focus on this fundamental we don't want to talk about John Wood anymore, but we want to think about the fundamental of forgiveness. The fundamental of forgiveness. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious Father, anytime we open your word, uh, we ask humbly that, Father, your spirit will work in our hearts the work that we need. Father, you know each of us, 
You know our history, you know our present, you know our future. You know our relationship with you. You know about our relationship with people you've given us to love and to serve. Father, we ask that uh, you'd work this work deeper into each of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In that verse that Paul gave the church at Ephesus, <clears throat> this phrase in here that caught my attention is just as in Christ. Just as in Christ. And so it kind of really be, kind of behooves us to stop and ask ourselves, what do the kind of forgiveness do we get in Jesus? But notice he doesn't call him Jesus, he calls him Christ. And for Paul, coming out of Judaism and the hope of the Messiah that began with Adam and Eve and then from Abraham and Jacob all the way down through the history of the Jewish people, you know that was a precious word. So he wants the reader to think about the Messiah, how God has forgiven us in the Messiah. Uh, Paul was a student in the Old Testament. He was born and raised in it, lived it, breathed it. Uh, became a Pharisee, uh, and when he became a Christian, what he would do is he would teach from the Old Testament scriptures. He spent his life as a, as a Christian now, of Jesus' follower, not reading the Bible you and I read, but those first 39 books that were in the synagogues, in scrolls, whenever he would go to any town, that's what he always did. He went to that synagogue and opened the scrolls it would want to show people that Jesus was the Christ. He was the Messiah. And what we want to do today, um, obviously I'm not the Apostle Paul, and I don't have all his Jewish background, but I want to take you into a festival that he celebrated 30 years of his life before becoming a Jesus follower, the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. For the Jewish person, it was the most holy day. It was the highest day of the year. It was the one day of the year where they could be absolutely assured that there could be forgiveness found in their God. And that word atonement, easiest way to remember it, is at one mint. At one mint with God. And if you looked it up in a dictionary, atonement, it would say satisfaction for a wrong. On this day, there would be satisfaction for the wrongs of Israel. Um, I invite you to turn your Bibles if you have one. We're going to spend a lot of time in Leviticus 16. Um, sometimes as Christians, we'd like to skip that book. Um, but it's, it's a book, it's a treasure. It's a treasure chest of the story of Jesus. And if you have a sermon outline, you might want to have that available too to kind of look at that. Paul in Colossians 2:16 and 17 says this, that these festivals that the Jewish people celebrated, they were just a shadow a shadow of something that was to come. And so we look at the Day of Atonement today, we're going to be picturing something that was to come. In the Jewish language, the word festival can actually be translated as a rehearsal. A rehearsal. Now, all three of my children were married up here, and I remember the difference between rehearsal day and wedding day. Rehearsal day and wedding day were very different days, all right? The emotions that ran through us as a family were very different in those two days. Um, all that was going through the bride's mind and the groom's mind, very different rehearsal versus the real thing. And so we want to look at the Day of Atonement as a rehearsal for something that we would see in Jesus. Acts 18 describes Paul's ministry this way. It says, every Sabbath, 
So picture every Sabbath now as a Jesus follower. He's reasoning in the synagogue. Any town he went to, this is where he went first. He devoted himself exclusively to preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus was the Christ. So we want to take the Day of Atonement and help us see Jesus the Christ and understand how in the Christ, the Messiah, God wants to forgive you and I. So Leviticus 16, uh, beginning at verse 1. <clears throat> the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. Notice they approached the Lord. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place, behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or he will die. For I will appear in a cloud over the atonement cover. So man is coming into the presence of God on the day of atonement. I've got a picture here, maybe some of you are familiar with this, of the tabernacle. Uh, this is 1,400 years before Jesus walked the earth. So this day of atonement is going to be celebrated for 1,400 years, except for during the Babylonian captivity of 70 years. Jewish people are going to celebrate this. And then eventually they turn this area in here into the temple, and then they got temple courts all around that. But in that tabernacle that is described here in Leviticus, the priest out here, there's altar areas for sacrifice, and then there's this tent that he's going to enter, and there's a holy place, and then the very back is what they called the holy of holies. And what this is going to talk about is going back into that area, the holy of holies, priests can go there just once a year. Um, back inside of this area, uh, Paul could talk to the Jewish people about the menorah, that candlelight that was back there, that they kept lit all the time, and how Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He could talk to the Jewish people about the showbread that was kept in that holy area, where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And there's an altar of incense. We're going to talk some more about that. But Paul could talk to them about the prayers of Christians, prayers of Christians, that they rise up before God like incense, that incense altar just before that curtain. And then there's a picture of the Ark of the Covenant because it mentions about the atonement cover. And this area in here is called different things by the Jewish people, but the atonement cover is the space in between the two angels, the atonement cover. In the book of Hebrews, it's going to call it the mercy seat. Look at that verse with me. Let us then approach God's throne of grace. That's that mercy seat, that throne of grace, with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Now, that's New Testament. That's a new relationship we have with God that we can go there anytime, anytime. This priest could only go there once a year, once a year into that area, to that mercy seat of God. Go back into Leviticus 16. And this picture about going into the very presence of God one-on-one -on -one back in this old covenant. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. That's behind that second curtain. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering, a ram for a burnt offering. He's to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He's to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments so that he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. Going into the presence of God. I've got a picture here of that high priest. Now, Joe is not dressed like that today. 
and you won't see them in any Sunday dressed like that. I'm not dressed like that. You and I are not dressed like that when we pray. The high priest had to go through all this cleansing of sacrifice and washing, uh, ritual washing, certain clothing to enter into the presence of God. And Aaron's sons had not done that, and they died. Aaron's sons did not take this text seriously, and they died. The book of Hebrews says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And without Jesus, those words become very real if you see this text the way it unfolds. Isaiah said this about our clothing. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Coming into the holy presence of God without this blood sacrifice and cleansing that we need. You know, when Isaiah entered that presence, in Isaiah 6, he says, woe is me, I'm a sinful man. I'm among sinful people. When Peter realized who Jesus was in his boat after that great catch of fish, he fell on his face in the boat and said, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. When John saw Jesus in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, for the first time in all his glory, he falls on his face. He, can't, he does not think he's worthy to be there. Uh, when Paul when the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus, his name was Saul before he became Paul. Same thing. He's on the ground. He's on the ground. Think how our relationship has changed because of Jesus. How he wants us to come into his presence, come to that mercy seat. Blood offerings had to take place. Hebrews says this. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. In the rehearsal festivals of the Old Testament, the rituals of the Old Testament, you see that blood offering. New Testament, though, it says the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You can't go into the presence of God without a blood offering. And then what happens is you and I have new clothing. Revelation says, then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. We have a new relationship with God. We have the right clothing. Blood has been shed. But let's go back into the ritual, back into this rehearsal that God gave Israel to do. Uh, what happened, let's go to chapter 16, verse 5, okay? And we have here, now they're not live, okay? Joe didn't want me to bring live goats into the sanctuary. Actually, we didn't talk about that, but everybody who saw these things thought they're pretty cute. Two goats, what does it say here? From the Israelite community, verse 5, you take two male goats for a sin offering. And there's also a ram for a burnt offering. And there's this bulligan that he's got to offer for his own sin offering to make atonement. Notice all the bloodshed. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. You saw that tent of meeting. So he's going to go in front of the, that first curtain, have the two goats. And he's going to cast lots. One for the Lord and the other 
for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the two goats, whose lots fall to the Lord, and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as a scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement, there's that word, atonement, by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. There's a blood covering, and then there's a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. He's the slaughter of the bull for his own sin offering. And then here's what talks about those prayers, that incense area in front of that final curtain. He should take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them before the curtain. He is to put the incense on fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover. There's that area where the, the high priest is going to go before the angels on the Ark of the Covenant and above the tablets of the covenant law so that he will not die, entering the presence of God. Revelation says this, Psalm said our prayers are like incense. Revelation says two different places that the prayers of the saints in heaven are before the altar of the Lord continually. Your prayers, my prayers are there before God. Now the first lesson on forgiveness comes in verse 15. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering. So one of the goats is slaughtered and its blood is going to be taken and placed on that sacred area on the Ark of the Covenant. For the sin offering to the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do it as he did with the bull's blood, he shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it and in this way he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting which is among them in the midst of his uncleanness. So the first clear lesson is this. How does God forgive us in Christ? How does he forgive us? He covers our sin. Our sin is covered. It is absolutely covered. Absolutely covered. Christ died for our sins. Paul says that in Corinthians. In 1 John, John says the blood of Jesus cleanses us from what? Notice that phrase. All sin. All sin. Um, I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself. There are days when I ask myself, can that really be true? Um, you know, you get older and you realize you might be in the last period of your life. <laughs> Only God knows, right? Will he accept me when I go there? I remember my father-in-law asked me that question. Other seniors have asked me that question. The Bible says it's covered. It's covered. What do we have now? We have the right clothing. We're welcomed in the presence of God, not just on one holy day a year, but each and any day of our life. We can live in that presence. All our prayers are at his mercy seat. We'll find help in time of need. And we have that promise that we will find help. He's going to be there. He's with us. We're acceptable. A second lesson on forgiveness comes up. And this is the one that really impacts me, okay? It truly does. Because this is the one on a human level I probably struggle with the most. It says, when Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting, and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. 
And then it says he's to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the head of the goat. So you picture the, at that time Aaron in front of that tent putting his hands on the head of the goat. Now as time went on, a ritual developed with the Jewish people. The high priest would take a red rope, and there's all kinds of traditions you can read about this, but they did do this. They put a red rope around the head of the goat to truly symbolize the sins of Israel. Sins are covered, but now the sin of Israel is laid on the head of this goat. And then the Bible says this, he shall send a goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. Now Steve volunteered to do this. Now if you were an Israelite, would you want to carry that goat with all the sins of Israel by yourself into the wilderness? Steve's going to take the goat, all right, and the goat's going to leave the room, all right? We're going to come back to that. But picture that, so they actually hired Gentiles. They actually hired Gentiles to do that because no Jewish person wanted to be part of that. But you have this rehearsal going on. It's rehearsing something. Sins are covered. Sins are taken away. And then the last verse says, the goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place and the man shall release it into the wilderness. Our sins are taken away. Isaiah 53 says this, we all like sheep have gone astray, each has turned to their own way, and the Lord has laid on him, laid on him, the iniquity of us all. When Satan brings up sins from your past, okay, you have something new you can tell him. The goat has what? Left the room. Say it with me. The goat has left the room. When you are with somebody God has given you to love and the trigger goes off and you think about something from the past that hurt you, what can you say? The goat has left the room. Say it with me. The goat has left the room. We need to work on that, folks. Wouldn't you agree as Christians? Forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. All sins are covered. All sins are taken away. We don't have the privilege and the options of Jesus' follower to hold on to it. Satan wants to make us feel guilty, right? He wants us to separate and divide people from people. Jesus says, I want to bring you all together. I don't want you to have blisters. I don't want those to turn into calluses. I want you to be able to live a life that's going to free you up. Remembering sin no more. The goat has left the room. Thank God for that. So go back now and think about this. Day of Atonement, 1440 B.C., that's usually where the Bible dates it. A lot of times they, they date Good Friday on the 33rd A.D. No more rehearsal. This is it. This is it. All that rehearsal time was going on, all that shadow of Messiah, but the reality is found now at Calvary. 
Listen to John's words in John 19, verse 2. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns. What does that remind you of? Can you picture that rope on a goat's head? They twisted it together, put it on his head, and they clothed him in a purple robe. The reality is found in Christ. <laughs> God says this. They shouted. You know what the crowd shouted? Take him what? Take him away. Take him away. Take him away. Take him away. We have a Savior who took our sins away. And who led him to Calvary? Some Gentiles took him out of the city, carrying the sins of the world, yours or mine. John says, <clears throat> Pilate, Pilate handed him over, handed him over to be crucified. What does Jesus say on the cross? Realizing it's all finished. The rehearsal is done, folks. This is it. It's finished. Sin is paid for. It's covered. It's taken away. It's funny, you start talking about some of this stuff, you get older, it really hits you hard. <laughs> Right, because this is it. Um, thank God. And you think of the mystery of Jesus. When you search that Old Testament and you realize what they said about him, can you imagine Paul as a Christian now looking into the richness of the Old Testament and seeing the Jesus that was promised? The Day of Atonement. Rehearsals are done. The real thing has happened. Right? Um, the psalm says this. Go to Psalm. <clears> he <throat> says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Help me read this, okay? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from him, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Do you think that's a habit that can change your life? It can free you up. Jesus, when he began his ministry in Nazareth, he said this. He said, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Freedom for the prisoners. You know what unforgiveness does? It puts us in a prison. It separates us. Jesus comes and he says, I want to free you up. He said this, this is what he told his disciples. He said, then you will know the truth and the truth will make you what? Free, it'll make you free. Blisters and calluses, he wants to heal those. He wants to draw people together so that we as Christians can live a life of forgiveness. I don't know about you, but I need God's help to do that. To live in the reality with my God that I'm forgiven my sins are carried away, to live in reality with people. I heard a poem once that said, to live above with saints we love, that'll be glory. But to live below with saints we know, that's what? That's another story. We need God's help to be who God has called us to be as a follower of Jesus.